Years ago, as a congregation, what we did was we went through a sermon series on what, is, what are called the offices of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the offices of Jesus. So the sort of Old Testament, what the offices of Christ are, don't you? The, the, the Old Testament roles that Jesus Christ fulfilled in his earthly ministry. What are they? What are they? The, the role of prophet, Old Testament prophet, priest, and king. Now, in that sermon series, uh, what we learnt was the Old Testament prophets that they engaged in certain tasks. Do you remember this? What, what, what was the role? What was the role of an Old Testament prophet? They did a few things, didn't they? They were uh, authorized spokesmen for God, weren't they? Like the Old Testament prophets, they, they had heard a message from God and then they took that message to the people. So they were kind of spokespeople. What else did the Old Testament prophets do? Well, sometimes they performed miracles, didn't they? Like, uh, think about Moses. Not only is he bringing a message, but something, oh, he, he can turn his staff into a snake and so forth, right? So they're spokespeople, they perform miracles, but... There was also a third activity, a third task that the Old Testament prophets did. Do you remember what it was? Sometimes they engaged in symbolic activity. Like, almost like the idea of kind of role playing. You see what I mean? Like, not only sometimes did they hear a message from God and tell the people, sometimes they actually acted out a message from God for the people. Okay, acted it out. Now, as soon as I say that, I'm hoping that you're kind of thinking through Scripture, the Old Testament, you think, all oh, right, enough, there's an example of that. Can you think of examples of it? Uh, you know, Old Testament prophets, role-playing, acting. Isaiah did it. Ezekiel did it. Do you remember what he, I mean, he, he laid down for weeks and weeks to sort of illustrate the judgment of God. There's, there's a really famous example as well, though, is the one that we, we talked about during this, this sermon series. Hosea. What, what was, what did Hosea have to do? This is where you're very glad that you are not an Old Testament prophet. Hosea, uh, was called to marry a prostitute to illustrate the unfaithfulness of the people of God. So you get this idea, right? You've got you know, Old Testament prophets and they are acting out. It's sort of role-playing a message. Why am I talking about that? I mean, that seems a pretty odd way of beginning a sermon, doesn't it? What I'm hoping is that you see that that is what you've got in front of you tonight. That in this book, in chapter 11... Not once, but twice, this prophet Zechariah, he's called to do this. Zechariah here is called to act out a a message. He is called, not once but twice, to impersonate or to act as a shepherd for the people. That's what we're dealing with tonight. And the hope is that as you and I study these verses, as we think about what Zechariah is doing here, that God tonight will speak to us. And give us a message about leadership. Shepherding. You know, leadership of our society, maybe. Leadership of your family. Leadership of this church. But most especially, particularly, a message about the leadership of our lives, our hearts, into 
eternity. This is what we'll do. I'll pray, and then we'll turn back to Zechariah. Okay, let's bow our heads. Lord in heaven, we are so conscious today that your word is living and it's active. And we as your people on the, this verge of going out into the world on a, on a Monday morning, we, we need you. We need to hear a word from Almighty God. And as we come to this Old Testament prophecy that is so, in many ways, unfamiliar, we ask, would you speak to us through these verses? Lord God, would you show us your Son? Would you show us more of your Gospel, we pray? Amen. Okay, let's turn back to Zechariah chapter 11. First thing I want us to think about here is the contrast with the true shepherd, okay? The contrast that we've got here with the true shepherd. <laughs> okay. If we're saying that Zechariah, this prophet, is being called by God to sort of dress up and act as a shepherd, what's the question you're asking? Why? I mean, what on earth is making God call Zechariah to do this? Well, what we've got to understand is that the situation in Jerusalem has deteriorated rapidly. Like, do you remember, if you've been here for the sermon series, do you remember how this book, Zechariah, began? Do you remember what it was like at the beginning? It was all this repentance, wasn't there? All these people coming back to God and we're going to rebuild. Remember, it was a brilliant sort of uplifting spiritual scene, wasn't it? See all of that stuff now? It's gone. Like all of that stuff is just it's just a forgotten memory. And you've got to understand that right now in Jerusalem here, there were wicked leaders. There was corrupt shepherds, corrupt leaders that were flourishing in Jerusalem. I just want I just want to just think about that and unpack that a little bit. Okay, what, what was that like? Corrupt leadership in Jerusalem, what did that mean? What did it look like? Well, you do the work with me. Have a look at chapter eleven. Just look at what you've got in front of you. How does the chapter begin? So you've got this sort of poem here, don't you, from verse 1 to 3. And it's a poem that deals with judgment. Okay, then, just keep looking through it, verse 4 to 6, you see that that is judgment over the people, but it's also judgment over shepherds. Judgment on leadership. Now, if you take all of that together, what comes out of this is actually a really clear picture of the problem. You see, these so-called shepherds, the so-called leaders of Jerusalem here, these were men who did not care about the people. These were leaders who, who cared not at all about the flock. They were ruling. They were leading for their own honor. Just look at verse 5. Look at these guys. The shepherds don't spare the flock. Just before that, look what it says. These are guys getting rich through the flock. They're exploiting the people. Do you see it? I mean, this is a serious thing. In Jerusalem, you have got leaders ruling for their own honor. Friends, what do we do with this? Tonight, in here. I mean, we're seeing here that, that God hates self-serving leadership. How do we apply this? Let me suggest a couple of things. 
at my induction to this to this church a few years ago, one of my predecessors, a man called John Nichols, now lots of you know John very well, he said uh, he said to me, Andy, being a minister at London City Presbyterian Church is like being a minister at a railway station. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've said this before, but you see what he meant, don't you? Uh, such as the turnover in the life of LCPC. You know, no sooner have people arrived than oh, they're gone again, right? Now, I think because of that, part of the, the ministry here has to be to prepare people for that, doesn't it? Like, part of what we are called to do as a congregation is surely prepare people to actually go and find another church. And isn't this true? We are hearing more and more about people in churches who are abusing their position of authority. Aren't we hearing about that a lot in the UK and in the United States? We are hearing about people, men and women, in the life of the church, abusing positions of authority. Why? To advance their own reputation and to advance their own bank balance a lot of the time. So the first thing that I would say to you is when it comes to your turn to move on, you be really, really careful about that. You be very careful about what church and what type of church it is that you choose to go to. Do you see it? And you seek godly, biblical leadership. But wait a minute. The, the second thing here is, is, is a wee bit more uh, obvious, isn't it? Look at us. Like many of us in this room just now, we are in or will be in positions of leadership. Within the, within the church, within our families, you know, within the Sunday school. So do you see it? We've got to apply this to us, to our own hearts. So hear this. Any form of spiritual leadership at all, it comes with genuine temptation. Any form of spiritual leadership. There is the temptation in the life of the church, in our, in our families, in Sunday school, there is the temptation to do these things for our own honour. To do these things to gain more power. You know, to do these things to have more influence over people. And do you see what? Do you see the message of Zechariah chapter 11? God hates this. He hates that. He doesn't desire self-serving leadership. What does God want? He wants servant leadership. Servant shepherds. So we see a contrast here with the good shepherd. Second of all, okay, let's move on. Let's see the rejection of the true shepherd. Okay, rejection of the true shepherd. Now, I am, I am not... I repeat, not going to get into this just now. Uh, but isn't it the case that if you've been on social media over the last couple of weeks, all you have seen are Christians going back and forward discussing whether or not it's all right to send their kids out trick-or-treating. <laughs> Everywhere you go, that's what uh, people have been discussing. Now, I, I repeat, I'm not, I mean, this is not the time, nor is it the text 
uh, for us to, to look at that in any way. But it is, as we go into this chapter a little bit more, it is that moment that Zechariah dons his costume. It is this moment that Zechariah sort of dresses up as a shepherd. Now, what I want you to think about here is the positive alternative that Zechariah is given to the people here. Now, think about their situation for a moment. What have we just said? There's leadership. There's corrupt leadership uh, in Jerusalem. And you've got to try and put yourself in that city. You've got over you leadership that are exploiting you. They are mistreating you. They are abusing you. And what does Zechariah do? He comes along here and he shows the city what life will be like under a godly shepherd. Now, what would that life be like? Have a look. Would you look at verse 7 with me? My question is, what has Zechariah got in his hands? Look at verse 7. He's got two staffs, doesn't he? And uh, he names his staffs. One's called favor. Do you see it? He's showing the people that there will be blessing, or there could be blessing, under a godly shepherd. What's the other one called? Union. He shows them that there could be unity, godly unity in the city. And it's not just talk. Look what Zechariah does. He gets to work. He says in one month, he denounces three of these wicked shepherds. This is awesome, isn't it? I mean, what an alternative to these wicked leaders. Now, here's my question for you. Another question. What reaction are you expecting? You know, these people are exploited. They're abused. They are mistreated. And along comes somebody and says, you can have grace and you can have blessed. What reaction do you expect from the people? Tell you the reaction I'm expecting. I'm expecting the Obama effect. You know what I mean? Do you remember what it was like when he was sort of running for office? You know, the whole world was excited, weren't they? You know, there was sort of worldwide euphoria. You know, here's a campaign, a change. Things are going to be out with this sort of corrupt leadership, in with this new guy. Is that not what you're expecting in Jerusalem? Isn't it? And then listen to this. Listen to the reaction. Zechariah says, and the flock, they detested me. And we say, no, that can't be right, Zechariah. You've got it wrong, man. Yeah, the shepherds, you know, the sort of wicked leaders, you must mean that they hated you. I mean, you're ousting the flock, the people, even though they're persecuted, they hated him. And friends, we are face to face with the reality here that sinful man hates godliness. Do you hear me? Do you see that? That natural man in the state of sin, he hates godly leadership. He hates it. He hates godly principles. What I want to say to you tonight is, friends, that there, that idea, it has to impact how you and I witness to the gospel. See, I don't don't know if you're anything like me when you're thinking about speaking to your friends. You can be really hopeful about these things, can't you? You know, you can think, well, that guy that I'm going to witness to, he's a pretty intelligent guy. 
And he's a, he's a decent guy as well. You know, if I can just get an opportunity to explain to him biblical principles, if I just get an opportunity to really properly show him biblical principles, he's a good guy. He's bound to embrace this stuff. Do you think like that? Don't you see that that is wrong? What is it that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians? What does he say? The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. Do you see it? Your friends aren't just sort of ill-educated and they need us to explain. Your friends don't want godliness. They don't, they don't love godliness. They love their sin. Do you see what that means? What do we do? Does that mean that we we go out tomorrow and we try and explain Christian principles and we try and explain Christian values to our friends? Do we? Maybe. Do you see what we must do? We must try and tell them about Christ. It is only if they have their natural hearts turned into hearts of flesh by the Spirit of God. It's only if the gospel takes root in their hearts. It's only if they have Christ that they will know and cherish and love purity and holiness. Do you see it? I mean, look what we're learning here. Outside Jesus, man hates godliness. Okay, let's move on. Let's think about a third thing. Could have waited to the end of the service, just at the, just at the end of the service. Wouldn't that be better? Surely. Let's give it just a second, see if it stops. This morning we had the microphone, tonight we have this, but there we go, okay. So we've seen a contrast with the Good Shepherd. We have seen the rejection of Zechariah, rejecting this godliness. And so we have to look at this. We have to think here about the judgment of the true shepherd. I mean, how can, how can we avoid this in a portion of scripture like this? The judgment. Um, okay, don't shoot me. Uh, but many years ago, I worked in a lawyer's office, uh, north of the border. Now, uh, as part of that job, what I had to do was go into court, and just take notes on various court cases. That's a fascinating thing to do. The thing that I like to do, though, the, the best part of it was at the end of the case. Not so much when you sort of learn the verdict. Um, but what I found fascinating was when you learn the sentence, the punishment. Like, it was really an interesting thing to see the consequences of people's crimes. The consequences of people's actions, okay? Now, the consequences... That's what we need to think about here, isn't it? The consequences. Like what we said, we said that these people almost unbelievably reject this godly leadership. Now look at this. What does Zechariah do? He reveals their punishment for this. I want us to see this, so please look with me to verse 9. Ask yourself, what's the punishment for this rejection of godliness? Zechariah tells them, okay. (laughs) 
have it your way. What's the punishment? I'm not going to be your shepherd no more. Isn't that it? I mean, what does he say here? I will not be your shepherd. Let the, okay. Let the die and die. Let the perishing. Do you see what God's doing here? He's abandoning people to themselves. You know, Zechariah saying, okay, I'm going to withhold my, my shepherding here. See these two staffs I have. What does he do with them? Smashes them up. Then he dresses as an evil shepherd at the end of the chapter to show these people what this withholding of grace will mean. God is abandoning these people to their own desires, to what they want. I'm saying to you as well, is this not how we see God act in Scripture? Of course, the, the obvious example of this. Romans 1. Like I, I, You don't have to turn there, but please listen to what Paul says in Romans 1. He says this. He says, wicked people exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men. So they sin. Now we're saying, okay, how does God punish them for this? Listen to this. Therefore, what does God do? God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. He gave them over to sexual impurity. Do you see it? It is a judgment, but it is a standing back. It's handing people over to their wickedness. Now I think, in all seriousness, you could argue that is what is happening in Britain today. Couldn't you? Like, couldn't you say that our society is doing what happened here in Jerusalem in Zechariah chapter 11? Isn't it the same? You know, we had godly leadership. We had certainly godly principles, uh, you know, on which this country, you could say, was founded. And what have we done? Have we not done the same as this? Have we not said, okay, well, we don't want that anymore? Isn't that what our society's done? And what does it feel like now? 21st century, doesn't it feel as though God is almost restored? removing his restraining hand? Doesn't it feel like that? But much more than that, friends, I I want you to see the warning in this for us, for you and me in London City Presbyterian Church. Do you see the warning here? Unless you and I are living individually and corporately in obedience to God... Unless we are following the governance in our lives of his word, what's the danger? What might happen? A London State Presbyterian church? God might break the staff of favor and of grace. God might break the staff of unity. Worse still, he might remove himself. And worst of all, He might just leave us to ourselves. So we see a judgment, standing back, a judgment of the true shepherd. Right, tell you what, I just want to end with the last thing. Look, fourth thing here, the payment of the true shepherd. Now, I'm going to do something that I seldom do in preaching, okay? And that's going to 
I'm just going to recap, okay? Now, I don't do this often in preaching, because i tell you why. When I'm usually sitting in the, in the pew, and a minister says, right, I'm going to recap over everything that I've said, <laughs> I usually just switch off and think, well, I've already listened to it. I don't need to listen to it again, and I fall asleep. I'd urge you... urge you to listen. What have, we, what have we seen? We've seen that there was wicked leadership in Jerusalem. We've seen that they've had this beautiful alternative of godly leadership. And we've seen the people reject this. And then we see a word of destruction and judgment. I want you to notice the payment that Zechariah receives. Do you see what's going on here, do you? Like... Zechariah has sort of taken up this role as a leader in the city. Now he's, he's due some readies for this. Like he's due some payments, some cash for his services. Now wait a minute. Do you see what the leaders do? They pay him. They give him. But look how much it is in verse 13. What's his payment? 30 pieces of silver. Now, What we know from the book of Exodus is that that was the wage or the worth of a slave. Do you see what's happening here? These leaders have to pay him, but they're just going to give him the minimum amount of money. Okay, they're going to give him the wages of this of a a slave. And our guy, Zechariah, is raging with this. He is, at this point, livid. And he takes these... 30 pieces of silver, and what does he do with them? He chucks them away, and he chucks them at the potter. Now, come on. Come on. I mean, you see what's going on here, do you? Please. You see that this payment was much more than a slight on Zechariah, don't you? I mean, come on. All the way through the series... We've seen since Zechariah 1, we've seen there's such a momentum and it's pushing us to Jesus. There's just pictures, pointers to Christ. Isn't that what's happening here? Isn't it? I mean, isn't that what the whole of Zechariah chapter 11, isn't that about Jesus? Wasn't Jesus ultimately the one who was a rival to the corrupt leadership of Jerusalem? Wasn't he the rival to those self-serving Pharisees that exploited the people? Wasn't that Jesus? Wasn't Jesus the one who provided in the face of all of that corruption? What did he provide? A perfect picture of godliness. Wasn't he? He came in. Wasn't he the good shepherd? He was God's chosen leader. But what happened? Wasn't Jesus this beautiful sinless man. Was he not rejected by Jerusalem? Wasn't he? Wasn't he despised and hated? Wasn't Jesus ultimately the one who was what? Bought for the wages of a slave. For how much? Many pieces of silver. That's right. And what happened to that money? Wasn't it thrown? Wasn't it thrown to the potter to buy his food. Do you see Zechariah 11? Do you see who this speaks of? Do you see that it is all about your Lord and your Savior? 
So I'm going to end with this. You have a choice this evening. You do. If you have come in here unbelieving, you go away with the choice. You can follow either one of these two shepherds portrayed in Zechariah chapter 11. You can continue in your unbelief tonight. You can continue in your rebellion, but I tell you this, you will continue to the point where you are eternally abandoned by God. Or you can see in these verses what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. You can see that in his goodness and in his grace and in his mercy, what did he do? He went into Jerusalem and voluntarily he went in there and he was despised to the point of death. Why? Out of love for his people to win us our salvation. Do you see that? Do you believe that? If so, tonight, get this. Jesus is not a good shepherd. If you believe that, what is he? He is your good shepherd. And what has he got in his hands? Rod and a staff. They bring me comfort. And friends, you, through the good shepherd, will experience favor, grace, blessing. And you will experience the unity of God for all the days of your life. Let's pray.